1: Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it.
2: Find Ear Hustle wherever you get
0: your podcasts. Sunny skies for now, but rain is on the way for much of the area. Welcome to this Monday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. If the number of new COVID-19 cases continue to increase here in Georgia, what will the fall semester look like for many of the state's institutions of higher education? Well, coming up in just a moment, a conversation
2: with Agnes Scott College President, Leo Kadia zach We've been coordinating with our own professionals, but also with the CDC. And we want to be able to use our own good judgment.
0: That conversation coming up in just a moment. In related news, Georgia is among 20 states seeing a rise in COVID-19 cases after easing restrictions to allow businesses to reopen. Now, that's according to nationwide data from Johns Hopkins University. And Gwinnett County now has the highest confirmed cases of COVID-19 with 6,151 followed by Fulton, DeKalb, and Cobb. And those latest numbers are as follows. There are 64,701 confirmed cases here in Georgia. The number of deaths statewide is 2,643. And the number of those hospitalized is 9,864. That's all according to the Georgia Department of Public Health at the time of this broadcast. In other news, at least nine Atlanta police officers have resigned this month. Now, in a press conference this past weekend, the city's interim police chief, Rodney Bryant, said an unusually high number of officers have been calling out sick.
1: It is factual that over the past few days, we've seen higher than average number of officers call in sick, which caused us to shift resources to ensure proper coverage. The explanation for calling out sick vary and include officers questioning their training Officers being challenged and attacked and unease about officers seeing their colleagues criminally charged so quickly.
0: And of course, Interim Chief Bryant is referring to the shooting death of Richard Brooks. Now, a public viewing for Brooks will take place today from 3 to 7 p.m. at Ebenezer Baptist Church. Face masks and temperature checks will be required for anyone wishing to enter the church. Brooks' funeral is tomorrow and by invitation only. The service will be streamed online. This is Closer Look. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. A programming note, Fulton County Elections Director Richard Barron was scheduled to be on the program today. That's not going to happen. The interview will now take place later this week. Meanwhile, an elections task force has been created by Fulton County Commission Chairman Rob Pitts. And when we spoke earlier this month, Chairman Pitts said it was time to move on from the blame game as it relates to all the problems voters had on Election Tuesday.
3: First of all, I am not going to participate in this finger pointing that's going on now. It's become a partisan affair and I'm not going to participate in that. My goal is to fix the problem problem. To get it right so that voters will have a pleasant experience in august for the runoff and in november for the general election now that being said we're going to start at the top looking Mm -hmm. at the uh, absentee ballot process down through the equipment to the staffing everything that happened we're reviewing but the purpose in the review is to take corrective action make changes where need be to ensure that uh that it works much better than it did there's a lot of blame to go around it's easy to be a monday morning quarterback and Mm -hmm. it has become uh partisan i'm not going to participate in that let's get it right Uh, we're all in this together and this is a democratic process and i'm determined to make it right and to make it better for the upcoming runoff and the general election in november
0: before we get to talking more about that special task force, but let's yes. talk about your leadership in the Elections Department mm-hmm. because it is separate from the county in a sense. So what role can you play in terms of ensuring that this process will be better next well, go-around?
3: All right, you're, you're correct. Um, and we, uh, we at Fulton County, the Board of Commissioners, we get blamed for anything that has Fulton County's name associated with it. That goes with the territory. Mm-hmm. But the facts are, elections in the county are run by the Board of Registration and Elections. That is a five-member board. Two members of that board are appointed by the Republican Party of Fulton County. Two members of that board are appointed by the Democratic Party of Fulton County. The Board of Commissioners, though, appoints the chair of it. And they run the elections and not the Board of Commissioners. They Mm hired their executive director, uh, Mr. Richard Barron, who is in charge of the process. At the state level, it's the Secretary of State Mm -hmm. who is in charge of the whole process statewide. Uh, There was a a myriad of problems that happened, which we're all familiar with. Mm -hmm. Compounding the problem, uh, new equipment uh, hadn't been tested. Well, a huge number of absentee. Ballot. In fact, I've never gotten my application to apply for an absentee ballot.
0: Well, you're Still among haven't. a lot of people, Chairman Pitts. I never get
3: so, but uh, I'm not complaining. Let me tell you, I'll say this also: I went to 25 polling precincts on election day, and what surprised me is that the good people of Fulton County, of course, they were you know tired and frustrated, but they were patient. They were determined to ex- exercise their right to vote. And once they were explaining what was going on, they understood, not that they were happy, but they understood. So I have to, you know, uh, give them a round of thanks for for being as patient as they were. Now, you go back to the previous Friday, Mm -hmm. the last day of early voting, when the manager and I, again, toured every, every, I want to underscore that, every early voting precinct we saw it was hot outside, outside. people were standing in those long lines because they waited till the last day to vote again which is understandable but we actually it was a Thursday not a Friday we ordered tents to be set up so people would have some place to to you know get shade and we ordered at least a 100 chairs to be placed outside while people were waiting to make it comfortable for them we provided mm-hmm. water and in some cases when we had time uh fruit you know, bananas, apples, and Mm -hmm. snacks so that people who were there uh, would make it as comfortable as possible because they were exercising their right to vote, which which I support. The other thing is that those are, and the law requires this, anyone 75 of age or older, Mm -hmm. they are permitted to go to the front of the line. And that also happened. All of that said, we are reviewing every aspect of it to include this task force We'll be uh, be bringing together to look at several several things from the logistics point of view. You know, how many precincts do we need? Where should they be? And the law mm-hmm. will help determine some of this.
0: Well, Chairman the Pitts, equipment.
3: The, yes,
0: the special task force, the special election task force. Yes, someone listening says that sounds great, but it, you all still have to work with your that, county election correct. officials and your elections board. Is it time? We, it, is it? Let me let me get this out. Yeah. Do you think it's time yes. maybe for new leadership in your elections department in Fulton County, whether it's with I Director that, Barron or the board?
3: I think that let us review what what happened and what changes can be made between now and the August runoff. And I think that uh, when we all work together, I spent an hour, not an hour, 30 minutes yesterday talking with Mary Carol Cooney, who is the chair of the Board of Registration and Elections, and I emphasize to her that we in this task force are not trying to interfere with what they're doing, but to provide some construct some constructive input into it, to their process. And she welcomed that, and I'm gonna be speaking to her, her board. They meet, in fact, in a few minutes this morning mm-hmm. to say to the board that, listen, we want to be helpful. We're all in this together. And therefore, and that's why I put together, it, well, actually there are two task forces. One will be an outside task force of 10 people, citizens, and the other will be I've directed the manager to put together a working group inside of county government to look at the processes. When the two uh, reports are in, I'll compare them and we'll make those joint recommendations to the uh, to the board of registration and election. And we're looking forward to, to We're working with them. The other thing I'll say is that the focus seems to be on Fulton County and 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 DeKalb County, but mm-hmm. every county in the metropolitan area had the same problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And a lot of it goes back to the absentee ballot and this new equipment.
0: Chairman Pitts, you and I both know that here in Georgia, any type of issues as it relates to the voter experience or the voting process is met with a lot of scrutiny. You hear terms yes. like voter suppression, through your lens, could could some of these issues have been avoided?
3: I'm not sure about avoid because the, the, a decision or the decision was made bring in this new equipment. It was new to everybody. Now we're learning, there's a learning curve with the new equipment. For example, the last minute, and I need to say this too because there are polling places that we have used for years, but because of the coronavirus, Owners of those places decided in many instances at the last minute they were not going to allow us to use those places for voting because they didn't want citizens coming in who may have the virus. Therefore, they notified us, no, you cannot use this place this year. There were other reasons. Uh, uh, Some schools were under construction. Uh, They had they're on a tight schedule to Mm -hmm. get ready for uh, the school year. So we couldn't use those places. And then I'm told that six of seven of every poll worker that we had thought we were going to have, six of seven declined to work because of the coronavirus. So we had to, again, when I say we, the board had to scramble around to find live bodies to work at the polls. So it's a combination thing. And, of course, there was a heavy turnout. The protest, I think the kids who were protesting, a lot of them took the time to vote, which I think is a good thing. There's a tremendous amount of interest in this election. That also uh, helped the turnout. In the absentee ballot, and back to my situation, I still, and this came from the state, still have not received my application to apply for an absentee ballot. So I voted in person 5.30 in the morning.
0: How long did it take you to vote?
3: It, I got there at 5:30 in the morning in anticipation of the lines, and it took me probably 10 minutes after I was inside. I had to le- it was a learning curve for me, new equipment. Mm-hmm. I mean, I personally don't like it, but that's what we have now. And with respect to the uh, when we change facilities, I'll give you one clear example: mm-hmm. uh, Grady High School had been a, a precinct for years, uh, so we couldn't use Grady this time around, and we I think it was three or four precincts there were issues with the lo- previous location. So we moved to Park Tavern as a site. Well, when you get in there, the building itself, the five precincts that were moved to Park Tavern. You get there with this new equipment, the power in the building was not adequate to support, you know, these voting machines. So that was a problem. Now had we gone back to Grady where it been going had been going for years, there wouldn't have been that problem. But we shouldn't there, the
0: counties know this information ahead of time? You wouldn't
3: know that because we didn't find out that, that well, when I say we, the board didn't find out they could not use some of these places until the last minute. Then you have to scramble around trying to find their legal requirements as to where uh, the polling places can be located. So, you know, so there, there's a lot. It sounds simple. And I'm not going to, you know, Monday morning quarterback, nor am I going to make excuses for the Mr. Barron, the director, nor the board. But my goal and my objective is to get it right for August and for November.
0: Okay. then finally, Chairman Pitts, as we wrap up, you've got not one but two task force. How confident are you that you will have some recommendations that you can work with the elections board? In Fulton County and Director Barron, how confident are you that you all can get something worked out so that definitely by November 3rd, but at least August 13th, what happened this week, will there may be some problems, let's be fair about that, but definitely not to the level of what happened this past Tuesday.
3: How confident am I that we can't 100% that we will have specific recommendations and that they will be accepted by and implemented by the Board of Registration and Elections? We're also going to involve the business community because here's here's something. We have uh, Fortune 500 companies here who specialize, for example, in logistics, you know, the UPSs of the world, the Chick-fil-A's of the world. They know how to get people in and out. So they will be asked to be a part of this task force as well. Give us your take. What would you do? How would you handle this situation? So we're serious about this. I want the public and your listeners to understand that we're serious, and if anyone has a uh, suggestion, bring it directly to me, and we'll look at it. That's my commitment.
0: Chairman Pitts, when we started this conversation, you said, I'm not going to get into the blame game, I'm not going to get into pointing fingers, but what is your hope that the Secretary of State's office will work with you all, if you feel that they need to?
3: I think that we're all in it together, and I think that once, you know, the the rhetoric— And I have to commend the governor. I heard the governor make some statements. Let's work this out. You know, there were issues, but we have to do better for August and November. He's saying exactly what I'm saying, maybe in a different way. But we have to get it right, and we're going to do everything we can to get it right.
0: Fulton County Chairman Rob Pitts, we've been talking about a special election task force, actually two. Chairman Pitts, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
3: Anytime. Thank you so much.
0: The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's richmon dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Agnes Scott College recently announced students will return back to campus this fall. That's according to a statement released by the college's COVID-19 task force. Now, employees will return to the campus on July 6th following a, quote, deep cleaning of the school. However, the school is sure to look a little different. A long list of safety protocols and procedures will be in place. Now, this announcement came after our Closer Look conversation with President Leo Kadia zach So our conversation picks up with President Zach talking about the current state of the college.
2: The campus is closed um, to visitors. Uh, people, We do have people who are walking through the campus, and so we get to see them occasionally. But it, at this time, it is closed.
0: And to your knowledge, have there been any confirmed COVID-19 cases among faculty, staff, or, or students who were on campus?
2: To our knowledge, there has not been. We've been very fortunate. We know that people do have situations where grandparents have passed away and they have pe- people in their family who passed away. But we are so blessed um, that our community has been spared.
0: Have you been tested?
2: I have not been tested. Why? I just haven't had the opportunity. um, I've been working remotely and um, at the lovely Scott Sam's house and working remotely as most of our staff and Mm -hmm. faculty are doing. Um, And I just haven't had the opportunity. But before going back to work, I anticipate or back to the campus on a regular basis, I anticipate getting tested.
0: Now, have all of the students that were able to leave campus, did y'all need to assist any of them in finding housing or i imagine maybe some of them needed some assistance uh, as we're all going as they as this pandemic was unfolding
2: well i am so grateful to our alumni and to the community and what they've done to be able to assist our students as our students were leaving in march some of them were not able to leave our international students or some of our students i think people may not be aware that 40% of our students are Pell Grant students. And some of them did not have the opportunity to be able to go home. And as a result, we had alumni and community members who are willing to take them in. But we also started a student emergency fund. And I am extremely grateful to Georgia Power and the United Way and our alumni and community members that have contributed to that. That fund has been needed for things such as food, Hmm. rent, basic needs for our students, I think people don't have a sense of the level of need um, that some of our students have, Mm. and especially since they don't have their on-campus jobs or community jobs. Mm. So I am so grateful to the community members who helped them get through this very difficult period um, and who are going to have to continue to help them because it's still going to be a long haul ahead.
0: That is for sure. The voice you hear is Leo Zack president of Agnes Scott College, and we're talking about how the institution, like so many, is adjusting amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, let's talk about the institution adjusting, too, in terms of finances. I've been speaking with so many other area university and college presidents. They've all talked about the financial impact of the pandemic. Uh, it's been substantial from having to refund students, losing out on other fees, how would you assess the current fiscal health of Agnes Scott College?
2: Well, I would say I think every college and university in the country is feeling the impact of COVID 19. Agnes Scott is no different. Uh, We, uh, thankfully, we have been continuing on. But yes, you know, there are lost revenues from refunds. Also, as you know, we have a beautiful campus. And in the springtime and summer, we enjoy having movie shoots on campus and weddings and Mm -hmm. summer camps. So clearly there is an adjustment with respect to the finances. And, um, but I have to say where I'm most concerned are the finances of our students. Um, as I mentioned, you know, 40% of our students are Pell Grant students. What I'm really concerned about is their ability to be able to return to campus. We know that they want to return we because they're already signing up for classes. But again, I'm very concerned about their financial state and the fact that we need to ensure that these students can make it all the way through graduation. Their futures depend on it. Their families depend on them. And that's where I think we really need to continue our focus is how colleges help their students and also how we can help those students as well.
0: Morehouse College has made some adjustments. They've had some furloughs and layoffs. Um, Could that be the case for Agnes Scott College?
2: We are looking at all of our opportunities um, for the future. I will say, again, I'm so impressed with our faculty and staff and our senior leadership. What they have done in some cases is chosen to take a pay cut themselves so that we did not have to furlough during this period. So I am incredibly grateful uh, to the contributions that people have made to be able to keep our community strong.
0: Are you taking a cut? in your salary?
2: I have. Um, I've taken several uh, several months without pay um, and anticipated pay cut for next year as well. Wow. Did you all receive funding through the CARES Act? We did receive funding through the CARES Act. Um, unfortunately, as you know, that funding is quite small. Um, half of that funding went directly to our students, and I'm very grateful to that. Um, we, unfortunately, are not eligible from some, for some other funding that some schools have received, mm-hmm. like the PPP. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is because we, um, in, we employ so many of our students because of the fact that federal financial aid doesn't support them. Mm-hmm. So as a result of supporting students, they were they were included in the count um, and we then became ineligible for some funding. So um, we, we are grateful for what we've received, but would love for Congress to move forward with some of the things that they are looking at so that we might be able to receive additional funding.
0: You've been focusing so much on the students and hopefully with their ability to return for the fall semester, What do you think a fall semester is gonna look like?
2: Well, we're hoping um, that the fall semester will have students coming back to campus. Of course, their safety and health is our major priority, but coming back to a campus that may look a little different to them. It's one that will have social distancing, it's one that will have masks, it's one that may have remote options for them and also remote options for their professors. So it may you know, have different times for lunch, um, but it's one that we hope um, we'll be able to return to what is so important about liberal arts colleges, which is that residential life.
0: Well, you and I both know the college experience, the campus experience, from you know athletic events to whatever you're partaking in, but what are your fears, I guess, that this pandemic will affect not just the future of higher learning and from in-class instruction, but that overall student body campus experience. Do you think that's gonna forever be changed because of this?
2: I think part of it will change. The other thing I have to say is our students are amazing, res- amazingly resilient. And what we have seen in recent years is disruption breeds something new. Mm-hmm. And what I'm really looking forward to is what is going to be new that's going to come out of this. Uh, one example is you know, a concern with respect to internships mm-hmm. and whether or not students would be able to have internships. Well, actually, we're finding just the opposite. Uh, which is the fact that students are entering into virtual internships. But now they don't necessarily, they're not limited to going somewhere in the region. They could have an internship around the world because it's being done virtually. So we're already seeing some of the things that we thought were limitations are now things that open up new opportunities.
0: But there's nothing like having that experience of being able to travel abroad or be in a physical space for an internship because um, some things you just can't duplicate online, what will factor into the decision that you all make and how the fall semester begins? Will you follow state or national guidelines, the CDC? What will be the metrics you all use?
2: We have been we have been working very closely with healthcare professionals. You may know that Agnes Scott, one of our majors, is public health, and we're one of the few undergraduate institutions that has public health as a major, mm-hmm. so we've been, we've been coordinating with our own professionals, but also with the CDC, and we want to be able to use our own good judgment with respect to the health and safety of our students, so we have been looking at the CDC guidelines and also talking to health professionals in the region, and the health and safety of our students is what's going to guide us, and also the health and safety of our faculty and staff.
0: Now, during this time also, President Zach, you all have launched a new podcast.
2: We have, which I'm very excited about. And again, it's one of those innovations during this time. And I have to thank the architect of this podcast, our Vice President for Equity and Inclusion, Dr. Mm Porcina, And it's called Engaging the Social Challenges of Our Time, which comes from our mission. And it focuses on the social inequity in the time of COVID-19. But it's not just the social inequities during this time, but what it really does is shine a spotlight on those social inequities that have existed. So I'm delighted with that podcast. People should go to our website um, and tune in right after they tune in to WABE.
0: Absolutely.
2: <laughs> um, um, but uh, some of the things covered are you know, inequities in healthcare and mental health, immigration, the workplace, and we hope to do many more in the future. Maybe you could participate in our podcast, Rose.
0: I know a little something about talking.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We'd love to have you.
0: As we wrap up, in your inaugural address, there was praise for your parents. You praised them for, for giving you the work ethic. As you reflect now, a year later, what have you learned about, I guess, your work ethic and perhaps yourself? And especially doing something you could not have even imagined during this time.
2: Now you're going to make me cry, Rose, um, I'm but, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but my my parents did um, instill an amazing work ethic. And I think it is what really has carried me through this time. But with that work ethic, I can hear my mother and uh, the back of my head saying, it's not about you. It's about others. And I think that's really the most important part of this time. Whether it's wearing a mask, it's about others. Um, What we do um, during this time is to support others. And I think that's part of what drives that work ethic. It's what we can do for the community. It's what we do for the people we serve. And all of my siblings, are in education and recognize the importance of service. I think that's the other part that my parents instilled in us um, in addition to that work ethic. So at this time, it really it really serves us well.
0: You also, as we played that clip, you said Agnes Scott had you at hello. You still have that same feeling when you walk around the campus?
2: I was going to say, um, I can't wait to say hello to all of our students when they return and the faculty and staff. Uh, I miss them so much and Agnes Scott has been such a special place to so many people and clearly has adopted me and I it had me at hello.
0: Now what are y'all bringing the goats back because, you know, I kind of I'm fond of goats. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I was going to say the, the goats will be coming back. It's part of our sustainability effort. Um, we had a couple kids born during the time that they were there last year so everyone was very excited. So hopefully we will we will be bringing the, the goats back next year.
0: From Agnes Scott College President Leo Cadia zach thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Thank you Rose. Thank you for everything you do. We appreciate you.
0: Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Policing reform, what does it mean? What does it look like? Well, there are calls to defund police departments, enhance de-escalation training, and bans on certain physical restraining policies such as chokeholds. Also, greater authority and power for oversight committees such as the Atlanta Citizen Review Board. Now Samuel Reed is the executive director of the board and at the time when we spoke I asked him about more authority for the board.
1: I'm very optimistic. I think that this is an opportunity that we don't want to miss to be able to shore up what we have in place, make it as effective as it as it possibly can be, and that we're all on the same page of holding officers accountable, making sure our policies are in place, that they are enforced, that citizens remain involved in the office accountability processes. and So I'm hopeful. We don't want to let this moment pass so that we're not repeating the 2014 through 2016 where we had protests and then things went back to uh, normal.
0: So when we talk about expanding the board's authority,
1: what does it look like? One of the major components of the proposed legislation is having this mechanism to handle those situations where the ACRB and the police department disagree on our findings. Mm-hmm. That's important. That decision by that independent reviewer will be binding on the police department. And also, having that in place would make sure, before it gets to that level, that The APD and ACRB are working in tandem to make sure that the process works. And we'll know that by the decisions that are made and the reasons as to why certain decisions are not made on sustained complaints.
0: So in a sense, you're talking about an independent entity that will decide whether complaints are sustained And if any actions, including disciplinary measures, are to be imposed, you all want that to come out of this independent entity.
1: Yes. And when I say entity, I mean, out of this one person who would be a retired judge or retired lawyer, someone who's familiar working in this space Mm -hmm. to be able to make the decision based on the complaints from the I mean, based on the investigations from the ACRB and the APD and our position statements that say why we uh, are, at, are are arguing for our positions mm-hmm. and they would be able to make that decision. And then that decision would be binding on the police department.
0: Is that a standard or something unusual to your knowledge as it relates to other oversight committees or citizen review boards throughout the nation?
1: I've, when I was researching it about three years ago, uh, I can't remember where right now, but there was a, there was a, there was a city that had that type of, uh, independent review set up. And I think that is a, 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 great way to be able to deal with the disagreements because what it does is, is it holds everyone, the police department and the ACRB accountable to make sure decisions are coming out that are adequately defended and based on the The record, based on the facts and the law and the policies, and not based on extraneous things that sometimes cloud cloud the decisions that uh that we see. To your knowledge, as long as you've been with the board,
0: did a, com- a complaint come against any of these officers?
1: Uh, yes, uh, Roth Officer Roth, he received one complaint in our office in 2015.
0: And what was the result of the finding?
1: The finding was not sustained. It involved a uh, false arrest.
0: If you're just joining Closer Look, I'm joined by Samuel Reed, Executive Director of the Atlanta Citizen Review Board. No, it's not a rebroadcast from last week, but with new developments regarding the board, we invited Director Reed back to the program. If, through your lens, if there are no criminal charges filed against Officer Roth, what do you think that message would send to the community? (sighs)
1: That would be a um, for the community. I believe that would further uh, exacerbate the the call for, you know, why can't something be done? I think that it, the process needs to work, and and the prosecutor will need to you know. Make the decision that he believes is is necessary. Mm-hmm. At this point, and even before this, it's upsetting to all of us that when it comes to criminal charges against officers, and they're not held accountable by the, the legal system, it hurts all of us. and And I can understand the the anger and the pain. Uh, I've been doing this for a while, and it, it, it's it's maddening and it's frustrating. You know, but the and that's why and and here's the other thing. Um if the legal system doesn't do what it's supposed to what it should do uh, based on its review of the evidence and based on what 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 evidence it has in front of them, um you still we still have the administrative process that should be able to that would be able to investigate and hold officers accountable for the policy violations you know um the legal system has a different standard you know beyond a reasonable doubt as opposed to administrative investigations that have a standard of preponderance of the evidence is more likely than not Mm -hmm. and the violation of the policy is is enough to, especially in this situation, um, should the the evidence and and the investigations come out that the officer did something in violation, we'd be able to hold the officer accountable. You know that's why we encourage citizens to always always file a complaint with the Citizen Review Board because we need to make sure that we have these administrative investigations so that if it goes to the legal system, mm-hmm. we can still hold officers accountable through the administrative policy violations.
0: The other side to this is that you have a lot of folks that will say, understand this too, that for officers who, when they arrive to on a scene or a situation, have no idea what they're encountering. Officers have to make a decision a split decision. And, and some will say, if you're going to scrutinize all of those actions, and you also put the officers and the departments at risk for not only retention issues, but recruiting. And maybe that's not your, your lens, because your lens, you are a citizens review board.
1: Well, um, Rose, here's here's the thing. We are about providing a fair, independent forum of investigations, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which means that we will look at all the evidence that comes in, all the information that we're able to gather doing our investigation and make a determination. Now, um, sometimes people are gonna feel like it wasn't fair that, because they didn't get the decision they want, officers will feel like that. Citizens will feel like that. But at the end of the day, you want to. Our our concern is making sure that we have an independent, thoroughly investigated, fairly investigated complaint investigation. That's what that's our goal. We have to look at: Did the officer violate the policy in handling? that situation
2: Mm -hmm.
1: okay
0: let's talk about the board for a moment are there any changes you feel are necessary as it relates to the board itself term limits how folks are appointed and so forth anything you like to see changed
1: well i believe that the way that we are designed we have a very diverse board that is um that represents the cross-section of atlanta um I know in the in the in the proposed legislation, we are it's being it has been introduced so that uh, the board can have someone a seat that will be for eight someone between the ages of 18 and 30. Uh, The way the current board is is designed. Most of our the members on the board are over 30 because of the entities that appoint them. Mm -hmm. So we're we're hopeful to have. An appointing entity that has a pool of youth or younger citizens between 18 and 30 that could be appointed. Um, that's what we're. That's what we're hoping.
0: you all, but you also do not have someone that's representative of the Hispanic community or the Asian American
1: community. Well, all of the organizations that appoint to the board, this those are open to anyone in society who wants to contact that appointed entity to be able to join the board the city council can appoint anyone the city council president can appoint anyone who has um legally i mean law enforcement experience the mayor can appoint anyone who's a resident of atlanta um mpus can appoint anyone who is the atlanta the atlanta planning board mm-hmm. can appoint anyone who's a resident of atlanta all of those so it's open to anyone who wants to be involved. So um, that's where we are now. Of course, people can all, and that's the thing about when I say citizen involvement, is that citizens being involved with the process, if, if that is a being a, a concern, certainly contact us so that that's something that we can push for. To have that type of inclusion, but they have to know um, that but, as
0: well, and that's what we talked about oh, they, last time. Because I asked you, I said, you know, look, if community engagement is such a critical component component to an effective citizen review board, you know, you all, how will the board proceed to empower citizens to become involved and let them know? And and is it and do you feel that it's important to say, hey, we do not have someone that's representative of the Hispanic or Latino community, or the Asian American community? Uh, you have someone that that represents the LGBTQI community. You have a lot of African Black folks on there. You have some white folks on there. Uh, but one could argue it is not necessarily reflective of this. Is not as diverse as it could be. Uh,
1: well, it, uh, I would I would say this. You know, um, people look at pictures and think that they know the the full diversity. We have individuals on the board who are LGBTQ.
0: Uh, That's what I just said. Indivi- yeah. That's what I just said. You do We have mm-hmm.
1: individuals on the board who have uh, disabilities, you know, so anybody, anybody who wants to be on the board can certainly contact us and let us know their interests so that we can direct them to the appointed entities for the opportunity to be on the board. Now, do I think that uh, the board could benefit from having someone from the Latino community, someone from the Asian community, certainly, Mm -hmm. because it's for, it's for the citizens, you know, it's for the citizens. And it's a citizen board. Um, now is the board operating in the, the, uh, exclusion of people? No. So, and as far as, as far as letting people know, Mm -hmm. we Are engaged in community outreach we go to different uh events we we have a presence on the social media Mm -hmm. and if people feel like they're not hearing from us in their spaces they need to let us know that's because that's what we do that's what we want to do is be wherever anybody who needs has a concern to let us know in fact um a few years ago we Contacted the Latino, the Latin American Association, mm-hmm. uh, to start conversations with them. That's something that we need to restart because we went over. We did a presentation. to let them know we that we exist and that we want to have their involvement. And so it's always a growing uh, process because citizen, I mean, policing affects everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody. So everybody needs to be involved.
0: You just told me so now is the time to make sure within that legislation you know you all can beyond getting your your powers expanded but also now's the time I'm imagining to ask for some more money for the in the budget I mean you might as well, <laughs> you might as well go for it all right
1: <laughs> right 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 now's the time I mean because we want that we want the agency to work at its peak there there, there are things that we could be doing that because of our staff size, we can't get done. Um, one is increasing outreach. Uh, again, we, we last year we participated in over 150 events um, in the community. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to do more through mass media, still due to direct, communi- direct community engagement. We wanna be able to do the focus group. We wanna be able to do the surveys that we can measure year after year the changes in the in the perspectives perceptions that citizens have about law enforcement, our officer accountability, because that's how we're able to to know that we're making the right moves. If you don't, if we're not able to measure that consistently, we're not able to determine if the steps that we, meaning the ACRB and the police department and the city, are making the necessary changes. You all meet once a month, correct? Is that true?
0: We do. So you meet once a month. And in that meeting, are you going over complaints? Are these meetings open to the public?
1: Yes, they are. We meet once a month and the meetings are open to the public. And for the most part, those meetings are about the complaints. So people can come and watch us do the work that's related to citizen complaints. One of the one of the. Uh, proposed amendments is to have the board be able to operate and deal with complaints in a smaller review panel so that we can get more complaints processed um, more efficiently. So, that's one of the things I'm excited about as well. Uh, So, we're making changes. We want to be able to serve the citizens like... The citizens want to be served and meet expectations like they want, and we want to have citizens involved.
0: Now, how have y'all been meeting during the pandemic? Has it been online?
1: Unfortunately, um we have not been able to meet online since City Hall is closed to the public. We have not been able to conduct a meeting since February. We have a we have a backlog of cases, we have citizens that want to be involved that want to attend meetings but we we haven't been able to have them well you and i are meeting
0: you and i are having a conversation via zoom (laughs) can't y'all do that
1: you you would have to speak to the city uh law department the 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 mayor had an executive order that closed city hall and we all have to follow that and that included boards and commissions But it's my understanding that the city is working on a process to start opening up and allowing um, boards and commissions to be able to conduct their business.
0: Would you be in favor of having your meeting streamed live as well?
1: Uh, That is something that we have discussed. And we've we've been looking at um, how to do that and how to make sure that happens. Um, that's something that we we do plan on doing in the future. Um, right now, we just know we need to get, to get back so that we can have these meetings, mm-hmm. so that citizens can come in and, and and see the way we operate and participate in the process through through witnessing it and filing complaints. That's what we need to have to happen.
0: And this backlog, Director Reed, how how many complaints are we talking about here? Y'all have not been able to meet since February. I imagine
1: it's piling up. Yeah, we're looking at about 30 complaints that are um, that need to go before the board. And so hopefully with this, this pass of legislation that would allow us to be able to have review panels, we will be able to handle those backlog of cases fairly quickly because currently if we only are able to use the full board you're looking at maybe four to six complaints that would be able to be discussed during a board meeting mm-hmm. and the review panels will allow us to be able to move those cases along faster through the, through the, the board process.
0: Finally, as we wrap up director Reed with this latest shooting death of Rashard Brooks, the changes within the Atlanta police department that have already happened and the changes that are to come. And also with legislation coming out of the Atlanta city council I asked you earlier how optimistic you were in terms of the legislation. Now I ask you how optimistic that now the Atlanta Citizen Review Board and APD and city council and the mayor's office, that you all are on one accord or will be on one accord with the process that everyone feels is fair.
1: Because you might get
0: pushback from the police department that says, why do we need an independent reviewer to make the final decision why can't the police department do that or in this case it was the chief
1: well i think that you know pushback pushback is expected but at the end of the day it's about serving the citizens of atlanta and the citizens of atlanta includes everyone you know it includes police officers and their families it includes the citizens who are not in uniform. It includes everyone. We're talking about a process that is for the benefit of society. So um, while I can expect pushback, I think that if we're looking through it, through the lens of how can we provide a mechanism that will be able to benefit society and not our own interests, um, I think that we all can come to the conclusion that having a a fair, independent reviewer um, would benefit the process and allow us to get closer to where we want to be, allow us to be where we want to be. That's what I believe. Samuel Reed,
0: executive director of the Atlanta Citizen Review Board. Director Reed, thank you for taking the time. Again, I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Rose. We appreciate uh, being able to communicate out to the community. Thank you for allowing us to be in this forum and this space. And thank you.